Welcome to TCC Alive, a podcast of Tulare Community Church. The Lord be with you, Tulare Community Church. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at TCC. A very happy Palm Sunday to you all indeed. Holy Week is upon us. The light of Easter at the end of the tunnel of Lent is coming quickly. We are finishing up our sermon series that we've been calling Beauty for Ashes that has been walking us through this season of Lent. And today, Palm Sunday, the church around the world celebrates Jesus' final triumphant return to Jerusalem. It's a day of celebration as Jesus claims himself as king, but it's also still Lent. So there's a tension in Palm Sunday. We're still in a season of mourning, of laments. This tension is not only present in our passage of scripture today, but also within the entirety of the Christian faith. Christians celebrate Christ's victory over sin and over death while still awaiting his return to make everything right. So pay attention to that, ten- to that tension and pay attention for these words. If they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. We'll get back to that in a minute, but now I invite you to listen closely and to follow along to the word of the Lord from Luke chapter 19. It says this, After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it, just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. And when he came near the place where the road goes down, the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. We say thanks be to God. Some of God's plans are celebrated, others feared, but all are inevitable. Some of God's plans are celebrated, others feared, but all are inevitable. Now, if you know me at all, you would know that I really don't like my birthday at all. I don't like being surrounded by people who are singing at me. Makes me feel loved and cared for, which makes me feel vulnerable, and who in the world wants to feel that? But celebrations aren't all bad. My wife, Claire, is really good at celebrations. Christmas, birthdays, Easter, the decorations are up, banners hung, balloons blown. 
Last week, our good friend Sierra graduated from a discipleship program up north. Claire picked her up and was driving her back, and Claire texted me asking if I could make a banner for Sierra. And so I took 15 pages of printer paper, wrote, congrats, Sierra, one letter per page, and stapled them all together. It looked terrible, right? But I was happy to celebrate her. She had accomplished something pretty cool. The best celebrations are a result of wonderful accomplishments. Palm Sunday is a celebration. We celebrate Jesus' entry into Jerusalem as its king. It's a coronation. Luke 19 begins in Jericho, uh, the lowest city on earth. Jesus and a whole crowd of disciples, they go 17 miles straight up to the holy city of Jerusalem. To put this into perspective, at about mile 8, they would have finally reached sea level. And when they reach the Mount of Olives, Jesus sends his disciples ahead. He tells them that they will find a colt, most certainly a donkey, that has never been ridden. Jesus, who had for the most part skirted away from obtuse claims of kingship, then lays down the hammer. He says, if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. First claim to be king? Check. The interaction with the donkey happens precisely as Jesus had predicted, but when they bring the donkey back, something strange begins to happen. Verses 35 and 36 say, They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. Now, I haven't been to Israel, but all the commentators will tell you that it was likely, one, hot as all get out, and two, dusty as all get out. All right, just imagine Tipton in August and you get the idea. And these folks are laying down their coats, in all likelihood the only one that they owned, in the dust to be trampled on by a donkey. And then it says in verse 37, when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Then they start singing Psalm 118, a classic for those on pilgrimage. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. We've got a classic ancient Near East celebration on our hands. But wait, we talked about this already. Doesn't a celebration imply an achievement? Are the disciples perhaps celebrating Jesus learning to ride bareback? No. They're celebrating the fulfillment of God's plan. Zechariah 9.9 tells us, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt the foal of a donkey. The king of Zion, of Jerusalem, of Israel, King Jesus. The people are celebrating because the prophecy has been fulfilled. The Messiah has arrived. God has followed through on his plan. And that is reason to celebrate. So we can imagine, we can picture the crowd going bananas, everyone singing, having a merry time. And then the personification of Buzzkill shows up. Verse 39 says, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. First off, we've got to pay attention to the fact that the Pharisees are in the crowd. 
So when Luke refers to the crowd as Jesus' disciples, that means the Pharisees too. If this is your first time to church, the, the Pharisees were a group of legalistic Jews who were a serious thorn in Jesus' side. So the fact that they're in this crowd is a big deal. Not only that, but how do they refer to Jesus? Didascale, teacher. Teacher, don't let them do it. Don't let them say who you are. The Pharisees know, obviously a lot better than the rest of the disciples, what awaits Jesus when he gets to the city. It is this exact messianic demonstration that will lead Jesus to the cross on Good Friday. Jesus knows it. Luke knew it. We know it now. And it makes me wonder if the disciples really knew what awaited Jesus, if they really knew what awaited Jesus, what eventual persecution awaited themselves, awaited the church. I wonder if they'd be celebrating as they do in this moment. If they knew it all, would they be afraid? Angry? Would they find what Jesus, is, what Jesus is about to endure unfair? Would they stop him from going? See, some of God's plans are celebrated and others feared. In our TCC Equip, uh, every class, every Wednesday evening, right here on our campus, we've been working through the Heidelberg Catechism. The Heidelberg Catechism is a Reformed document written in the wake of the Protestant Reformation to provide shape and identity to a newly established church. And a few weeks ago, we went down the rabbit hole of the doctrine of election, or predestination as it is more likely known, and I'm actually hoping that we can spend the next couple hours on that very subject. No, I'm kidding. Please don't turn off your computer. The doctrine of election ultimately affirms that God does as he pleases, and that scares people because it's out of our control. We're at the whim of someone so much larger and greater than ourselves, and it's scary. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, then it means that God's plan is to strip you of all your crutches. He plans to shine his light on the deepest, darkest parts of you that you'd rather just leave alone. And if we think about that plan for a moment, it's pretty scary as well. C.S. Lewis's The Great Divorce, Lewis depicts an allegory of what heaven and hell might look like. A man travels through both, encountering different crutches that people rely on so that they don't have to rely on God. In one instance, the protagonist has a run-in with a ghost with a small red lizard on his shoulder whispering in his ear. The ghost is irritated by the lizard, tells it to be quiet. And an angel comes over to the ghost and says, Would you like me to make him quiet? The ghost replied, of course I would. Then I will kill him, said the angel, taking a step forward. Oh, uh, look out, you're burning me, keep away, said the ghost, retreating. Don't you want him killed? You didn't say anything about killing him at first. I hardly meant to bother you with anything so drastic as that. It's the only way, said the angel, whose burning hands were now very close to the lizard. Shall I kill it? Well, that, that's a further question. I, I'm quite open to consider it, but it's a new point, isn't it? I mean, for the moment, I was only thinking about silencing it, but because up here, well, it's so embarrassing. May I kill it? Well, there's time to discuss that later. 
There is no time. May I kill it? Please, I, I never meant to be such a nuisance. Please, really, don't bother. Look, it's, it's gone to sleep of its own accord. I'm sure it'll be all right now. Thanks ever so much. May I kill it? And back and forth they go. The lizard? Lust. A crutch. God's plan? It needed to die. The ghost? Petrified. See, we fear some of God's plans, not because they're bad, but because they are so good. God's plan is to free us from our sin, to free us from ourselves, but we fear what that actually entails. See, God's plan was for Jesus to take our place on the cross, but the Pharisees are afraid of what that might actually mean. Lent should be scary as well. During Lent, we are reminded that we are sinners. We are reminded that we are often too afraid of God's plan for our lives because, like the ghost, change and growth are painful. Jesus says in verses 41 to 44, or it says in verses 41 to 44, As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. See, some of God's plans are celebrated. Others are feared. Um, a lot of people like to say that they admire Jesus as a spiritual teacher, but nothing more. C.S. Lewis had a response for this called the trilemma. The trilemma states that, that Jesus' own words in Scripture do not allow us to view him as merely a great spiritual teacher. He had to be either a lunatic, a liar, or a lord. When he said, I am the way and the truth and the life, he left us with only these options. He was either crazy, not telling the truth, or he was exactly who he said he was. Now, this is important in the realm of apologetics, but in our passage today, it actually doesn't matter that much at all. Because verse 40 says, I tell you, Jesus replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Essentially, you can think whatever you want to think about who Jesus is, but the reality, whether we like it or not, is that God's plans are inevitable. If the disciples don't celebrate Jesus' coronation, then the stones, the most inanimate of all natural things, will. Some of God's plans are celebrated, others feared, but all are inevitable. Palm Sunday throws in our face the reality that God's desire for the world, God's will for our lives and all that we know will not and cannot be stopped. The creation cannot stand up to the creator. And this can sound truly terrifying. And it's no wonder if that was all we knew that the image of God as a floating tyrant is so pervasive within pop culture. And 
If that was all we knew, and if we had just this one verse, then that image could probably be pretty easily confirmed. But Palm Sunday is the precursor for the most remarkable act of sacrificial love that the world has ever known. The king, riding on a donkey that would be ridden by kings during times of peace and not war, will die not only on behalf of, but in his subject's place. Why? Because as John 3.16 tells us, God so loves the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God's plan is to reconcile his people back to himself, and that plan will not and cannot be thwarted. It is inevitable. During Lent, we celebrate some of God's plans. We can be honest about our fears of some of his others, but we are ultimately sobered by the inevitability of his will. We are sobered not because those plans are bad, but because they are better than anything we could imagine. And that next chapter of the story is just a week away. We have everything to celebrate, and only death itself has something to fear Because God's plan is inevitable, and that plan is better than anything we could dare imagine. And on Palm Sunday, Jesus begins his ascension from the dust of Jericho to the beauty of salvation and forgiveness offered to a broken and undeserving world. The king is coming. Easter is shortly upon us. Get your coats ready. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to know more about the ministries and mission of Tulare Community Church, visit us at tccalive.org.